This is episode 177 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Russ Campbell from Ampcare LLC. He received his degree in physical therapy from Northwestern University, Chicago, Illinois in 1989. He's the co-developer of ESP, the Effective Swallowing Protocol, and CEO of Ampcare, an FDA-registered medical device and services company that develops innovative technologies designed to improve the quality of life in people with swallowing disorders. He has over 30 years of experience in electrotherapy and has presented Ampcare's products in the U.S., Europe, Japan, Argentina, and Hong Kong. Russ is responsible for the research and development of the company's products and methodology, as well as guiding the company's growth through partnerships with other healthcare providers. Russ does have a financial disclosure. He has intellectual property rights, holds a patent on Ampcare ESP technology, and receives compensation for its sale. He's employed by and has an ownership interest in Ampcare LLC and does receive a salary. Additionally, if you are interested in taking any of Ampcare LLC's training courses, you can go to ampcarellc.com or swallowtherapy.com and you will receive $50 off any of their courses using code SYP. Uh, this is not, you will not receive $50 off the actual Ampcare device, but rather if you're interested in taking any of the courses, use promo code SYP for $50 off any of the courses. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner and founder of the MetaSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Well, congratulations to you, your family, and seriously, I, 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 I can't stress how much I think this title of all these podcasts uh, rings in my head. Yes, yes. So congratulations to you. Thank and you. Thank you. Taken off, but you know, well done. Um, from the you. days I remember you, I never expected this from you. Never would. Never in a million years. <laughs> okay, so let me make uh, a host. The host would say, "Okay, what are we talking about today, Russ?" And I'm going to tell you, we chose a uh, a title of "Is Your E Stem Neuromuscular Electrical Stem?" You know, we've done this about, I guess, three or four times already. So. Um, I always tell you I want to take charge of the title, and I think we did an okay job. You did. And I, I wanted to take this opportunity to try to clear up the terminology on the use of electrical stimulation for the treatment of dysphagia in your discipline. Because I think this terminology is cloudy, and yes. I would probably go a little further to say it's muddy, and when you look at the, not just the clinicians, but the academia world, it's even jaded in some areas. And it's not your fault, in my opinion. It's no fault of your own or the discipline. I believe electrical stimulation entered your field in 2001 and was touted as NMES or neuromuscular electrical stim. But as a PT uh, for over 31 years who uses neuromuscular electrical stem is part of his clinical practice. The parameters that entered your field in 2001 follow the rules of sensory stem or what we would call TENS, transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. And I don't want to get it confusing. So I think the three to four objectives I have for your audience today is number one is what is electrical stimulation encompass? What is this big umbrella of electrical stimulation? Then what truly is neuromuscular electrical stimulation? How does it fit under that umbrella? What does the research say about electrical stimulation for the treatment of dysphagia? And then where should we be going uh, now that we know some of the issues with the research? And where is AmpCare going in how to really show objective data in the research? 
And just to be upfront with everyone, um, myself, I, I receive uh, compensation for this company for selling an FDA registered medical device and services company for the treatment of dysphagia. All right. So why do I love talking to medical SLPs? Because you're dealing with a lot of patients that have either lost or have lacked nerve innervation because of neurological damage. And that could be through CVAs, TBIs, Parkinson's, surgical repairs, resections. Even though radiation and chemo are great suppressors of cancer, they can damage nerves, okay? Rendering muscles unable to produce a force in my field as a physical therapist. And what are you looking to do? You're looking to produce movement. Swallow is about sensation, sensory, as well as motor. So what do you do as a medical speech and language pathologist when you come across a flaccid, a paretic, or even a paralyzed muscle? And I'm going to tell you one of the best things you could do is learn about neuromuscular electrical stimulation. Learn everything you can about this umbrella of electrical stim, but certainly in your field, neuromuscular electrical stim is a device that sends electrical pulses to your nerves to cause muscles to contract. And it's a brilliant way to bypass um, what traditional exercise does and get into recruiting more cutaneous nerves and more muscle fibers better than the patient can do on their own. You're always going to ask the patients to work with this, but if you can recruit more cutaneous nerve endings and get that muscle to fire more than that patient can do on their own and have them work with it, you're going to help reorganize these cortical bulbar pathways better than you ever have in your career. So how is NMES different from electrical stimulation? Because this word electrical stimulation in your field, it seems to be, it's, it's the terminology is muddied. So let's talk about it. Not all electrical stim is NMES, okay? And as a physical therapist, we get about two semesters of didactic schoolwork where we talk about how to use electrical stimulation. It encompasses three different types of current, 10 different types of waveforms, and a plethora of parameters to treat multiple problems, okay? So please, I'm not a huge fan, but I spent a little time, seven pages of show notes, download these show notes after Teresa pretties them up for you, and look at them because you have three types of current that you can use for therapeutic benefit. One is alternating, another is pulsed and direct. And in those, we can utilize and manipulate these currents into waveforms to treat a multiple of problems. But these parameters that we have to manipulate, like the frequency, also known as the pulses per second or the pulse rate, can be as high as 4,000 hertz or as low as one hertz. The phase duration can be as high as 450 microseconds or 50 microseconds. That is one millionth of a second, y'all. The intensity or output can be as high as 100 milliamps, as low as one milliamp. That's a millionth of an amp because an amp can leave an exit wound. You don't want to go putting amps through people who blow a hole through. All right. So understanding parameters is vital. And I get a little passionate about it because we could even use a different type of current, high volt, galvanic stim. They don't even use amps. They use volts. So understanding electrotherapy um, is key because I hear a lot in your discipline. And again, no fault to your own. Hey, I'm e-stim certified. And if you really think you're ESTIM certified. Got another thing coming. Oh, thank you for saying that for me, my you're friend. You're welcome. I know you're the host, but I just thought I'd chime in. I, I do appreciate it because I was going to say it. And uh, it can be, I, I, I am humble because I've been doing this for 30 years and I don't know it all. But I, I, I try to learn as much as I can about this. This is not all about knowledge intelligence. This is about continuous effort. 
You have to put effort into everything you do, your career, your family, your life, and understanding this technology. And to say you've been trained by one or two or maybe a few people and say you're ESTIM certified, I think you're crossing a little bit of line. Um, but that's enough on that. Let's, let's stay positive. And another reason why I love the full title of all these podcasts. So let's all try to be a little humble here. So if I had to think of five prominent ways that we use electrical stimulation treatments, I would tell you electrical stimulation is sending electrical pulses through the skin for therapeutic benefit. And when we say through the skin, a lot of times we hear the word transcutaneously. And transcutaneously means just passing it through the skin. So one of the ways we use electrical stim is to manipulate sensory nerves, all right? to reduce pain. Typically called TENS, transcutaneous electrical stim, sensory stim to block that throbbing, aching pain at your spinal cord to prevent it from going to your brain and being perceived. And as we've grown in TENS, we've come up with other waveforms like pre-modulated and interferential that are even a little bit more stronger or powerful. Just know that they're there. Another treatment is to facilitate muscle pumping to reduce swelling. If you have swelling in a wrist after you've fallen or in an ankle and you want to pump some of that swelling out, we can stimulate the agonist and the antagonist, the wrist extensors and flexors, to reciprocate a little bit and create a little muscle pumping. Because when we create a little muscle pumping, it can pump swelling or fluid out of a joint. And we would use a Russian stem or a high volt for that. Now, interesting, if the patient can't tolerate movement because it hurts them to move because they're still swollen, we can use high volt with a form of ion transfer. And what does ion transfer mean? Swelling has a negative charge to it. So we can use electrical stem, put the negative leads on negative swelling, and if you know a little bit about electrical current, opposites attract, likes repel. So if we put negative electrode on negative swelling, we can repel it to the positive electrode. And that's a way to move, improve blood flow or circulation to enhance decreased swelling or even to help wound healing. And it's just ion transfer. You're just using charges to move these molecules out of a swollen area. Interesting. Very interesting. Iotophoresis is another type of electrical stim. We can drive medicine through the skin. So PTs, we, we can get medicine like dexamethasone. It's a pretty popular medicine these days with this COVID pandemic. And dexamethasone, sodium uh, phosphate has a negative charge to it. So what do we do with direct current? Direct current only flows in one direction. Put the negative lead on the medicine, and we drive that negative lead, likes, repel, through that joint to a positive lead. So again, there's another way of using electrical stim. Now, it all falls under this umbrella of electrical stim. But the one that we really want to talk about for you all, because the medical SLP, I think this is brilliant, is how can we stimulate nerves to contract weak atrophied muscles to build strength, re-educate muscles to do their job, increase range of motion, prevent disuse atrophy. And those are the top four indications for use for NMES. But realize it falls under this umbrella of electrical stim with all these parameters. To go grab a e-stim unit off a PT's or OT shelf with the limited amount of education you get in electrotherapy is wrong, okay? Now, I will be the first to say I'm sorry because the way this discipline uh, was introduced to NMES was not fair. And the research that's out there is confusing and complicated. But we're gonna talk about it and why, okay? Why this happened. Just know this. Why NMES is different than electrical stim, and we'll talk a little bit why Ampcare is the difference maker. We truly followed the rules of electrotherapy to stimulate the motor neurons 
to allow muscles to contract for therapeutic benefit. And we're going to prove to you under fluoro and fees. I got all the links on the show notes that you can see we move the hyoid and larynx. And when we do that, we create anatomical inference, tongue base to the epiglottis, to the laryngeal vestibule, to the laryngopharynx, to the pharyngeal wall, all the way down to the PSUES. And we can prove it under fluoro and fees. We specifically are trying to target the motor neurons with this. So why is NMES such a big deal? Well, I'm going to just touch on this and give you the cliff notes. We talked about this when Teresa invited me to episode 19. It's about what does NMES do? Normal brain to body recruitment says you recruit the type one muscle fibers first. So if all I'm going to do is push a, uh, a wheelchair with no one in it, my brain tells my body to recruit primarily type ones and a little bit of type 2As and type 2Bs. It's somewhat non-selective, but it follows the size principle, mainly type ones first, then 2As, 2Bs. But as we work out more or as more people sit on this wheelchair, we have to recruit more 2As and 2Bs to recruit more skeletal muscles to provide the strength to propel that chair. The beauty of NMES is it follows the reverse of normal brain-to-body recruitment. A powered muscle stimulator, in this case, a neuromuscular electrical stimulator, doesn't know the difference between a type 1 and a type 2 muscle fiber. What it does know is it stimulates the largest motor neuron first, and science supports this. This is not Russ saying it. Go listen to that hour on NMES. The largest motor neurons are the kings of the jungle. So as I put this on you, you're going to get sensory stim first because they're the fastest. They pick it up. But then the next nerve that picks up NMES is these largest motor neurons. And why do they do it? Because the sheath around the nerve is thin. It is transparent. It's got the least amount of resistance. So I can flip the polarity. What is polarity? Polarity is a charge. We know these resting nerves rest at minus 70 to minus 90 millivolts. Science, y'all. Just know that they're negative. And we can drive current into these nerves and make them more positive. And when we do that, we take a resting nerve and turn it into an action nerve and tell that muscle to fire whether you want it to or not, as long as that peripheral nerve's intact. It's a brilliant way to address it. And now that I've got this motor nerve working, I am working type 2Bs because science says these motor neurons go to the type 2B fast twitches. So this only makes sense when you see a motor contraction. You have to see it. You can't say, patient, tell me when you feel a pull because it's got to go transcutaneously. So anything superficial has got to tighten first. And if you don't see it, you're not doing NMES. And I'm going to prove to you why in most of your discipline, you haven't been doing it. All right. And just a quick word from one of our wonderful sponsors, PatCon Medical. Are you trying to start a fees program at your facility or are you thinking about going out on your own with bulk fees? Here are the two simple steps you should take right away. Number one, listen to episode 164 of the Solier Pride podcast, where I speak with Christoph from PatCon Medical about purchasing fees equipment. Step two, get in touch with PatCom as they will assist you based on your individual needs. You can reach them at info at patcommedical.com. That's info at P-A-T-C-O-M-M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com or go to patcommedical.com for more information. Now back to the episode. So that's the beauty of NMES is that we can work these type 2B muscle fibers day one initially. I don't have to put them through traditional exercise and wear out the type ones. I don't have to throw EMG on them and see if they're using some muscle. I can go and stimulate these targeted motor neurons, specifically trigeminal and facial nerves, create enough movement to affect glossopharyngeal, vagus, spinal accessory, and hypoglossal. And I'll prove it to you under fluorone fees. So enough about that. Science supports that the use of NMES following the rules of electrotherapy combined with a task-specific 
repetitive resistive exercise for treatment of weak atrophied muscles will be better, faster outcomes than traditional exercise alone. History of that. The research is on your show notes. I listed the footnotes. It's in your references. If I have 50, 100 people doing traditional exercise, same people doing the same exercise at NNMES, on average, anywhere from 9 to 13% faster, stronger initiation over a four to six week period. That's it. So the rules of electrotherapy, what are the rules? There is an entire book about it. It's called Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation, a Practical Guide. This is a textbook, not research. It's not uh, hypothetical. This is text. It's on its fourth edition. And it's a book that we learn about in physical therapy as our foundation, okay? And it's brilliantly written. And I, I always give Dr. Lucinda Baker a lot of the credit and call her the godmother of NMES, but Baker, McNeil, Benton, uh, Bowman, Waters, they all get credit for this. That was a great start. Now, why is this important? And let me try to, I don't know, use this analogy. Some people don't like it, but I do. I think it helps you guys understand it. NMES is to physics. Now, when I say that, everyone tunes out because no one likes physics, including me. NMES is to physics like cooking is to chemistry. The parameters of NMES are like the ingredients to cooking. Please understand that. The parameters to NMES is like the ingredients to cooking. If you use the wrong parameters, you're not going to get the right results. I am going to celebrate Easter with my family. A vaccinated, masked, and all, we're all getting together. I have been cooking the Campbell famous recipe of cabbage and noodles for 30 years. My grandmother handed this recipe down to me. And if I do not salt that cabbage, if I do not let it sit for an hour, and then squeeze it and rinse it out and get that bitterness out of that cabbage. That is going to be the worst cabbage and noodles you have ever tasted. And you're going to throw it in the trash. Same thing goes with electrical stim parameters. You try putting 4,000 hertz through a small muscle on your neck, you're going to blow the snot out of it. You got to know parameters. You got to know electrical stim placement. You got to understand electrode size and construction. And if you don't, you're really not doing it, okay? And AmpCare's job is to train you on understanding what nerve is impaired so that you know what muscle needs to be facilitated so you know what you are treating and addressing the mechanical cause of the right phase. All important, y'all. So now I'm going to give you, in your show notes, the FDA on their website lists three electrical stim devices that have been cleared to market for the treatment of dysphagia based on the parameters they use. And I'm showing you these parameters because I hear this at all the trade shows I go to, is, oh, I'm trained in electrical STEM and all electrical STEM is the same. And I'm gonna tell you, I don't hear that from everyone, but I'm gonna tell you from the people I do hear that from, you couldn't be more wrong. Here's why. Ampcare uses a high intensity with a low phase duration. Vital stim and e-swallow use a low intensity with a high phase duration. From a parameter standpoint, we couldn't be more different. Couldn't be. I'm gonna tell you the FDA has cleared two protocols for the treatment of dysphagia. One is AmpCare, one is Vital stim. Now e-swallow kind of went under the Vital stim parameters, the only thing that's really different besides being a knockoff of their parameters is they use a slightly lower phase duration. Instead of 350, they use 300, but otherwise it's the same. AmpCare uses 50. We are seven times lower phase duration, but a four times higher intensity. And for those people that use these other technologies, they're going to say, oh, my patient can't tolerate more than 25 milliamps of intensity, it hurts them. Well, that's because you're using a high phase duration. 
and you hear, oh, Ampcare's using 100, there's no way a patient can tolerate 100. Oh, yes, they can. When you use a lower phase duration. The phase duration, y'all, is the electrical tap length. If I use a short phase duration, it's just the electrical tap. If I use a high phase duration, that's more of a electrical punch. And it's going to penetrate deeper. And then go throw that on the neck, which is one of the most rich and diverse sensory systems. And you're not following the strength duration curve rules. And you're going to develop some pain and discomfort. So those are just a couple ones. But here's why vital stem e-swallow is sensory, in my opinion. Full disclaimer, not to go yell at Teresa for this, but it's Russ's opinion. It's the duty cycle. And you should have learned all this when you learned this technology. Ampcare's duty cycle is five seconds of on time and 25 seconds of off time. Why? Because we want to stimulate that nerve to make the muscle contract for five seconds. So we can work on timing, vibrotactile sensation, initiation, and movement. Create hyolaryngeal excursion. Create tongue base retraction. Create stretching to the laryngeal pharynx and relaxation to the uh, PSUES. We're trying to create sensory and motor movement, but you got to let that nerve relax. It needs to rest and recuperate. So we give it 25 seconds of rest time. So it's a one to five duty cycle. If I'm on for five, off for 25, that's one stimulation every 30 seconds, two per minute, and we're a 30 minute treatment. So that's 60 stimulations. As the patient starts swallowing with this and they achieve this 80% rule that you'll learn in the training, we'll lower their rest time to 20 seconds and then even to 15 seconds. Because when you stimulate them five on, 15 off, you create 90 stimulations. Think about it. Five seconds on, 15 off is one stimulation every 20 seconds. That's three times a minute times 30 minutes is 90 stimulations. So what am I teaching you to do? I'm teaching you how to be a better exercise physiologist by using electrical stim parameters, because if I can't add more weight, a good exercise physiologist is going to teach you how to use more repetitions. Now, let's go to vital stim and e-swallow. What's their duty cycle? 59 seconds of on time, one second of off time. Right there, any PT in this world would tell you a nerve, specifically a motor nerve that's supposed to target NMES, neuromuscular electrical stim, cannot sustain a motor contraction for 59 seconds out of every minute, for 60 minutes. It is physiologically impossible. It is called metabolic fatigue. It is a buildup of lactic acid. If you contract a muscle and hold it for 59 seconds, you will decrease oxygen, you will build up lactic acid, and your muscle will spasm and it will give out. For those of you who have never run a marathon, go run 26.2 miles tonight and then tell me how you feel tomorrow because your body's not used to it, can't do it. All right, that's buildup of lactic acid, it's metabolic fatigue. And there's something else called accommodation. Your nerve cannot maintain the same level of depolarization, that charge that we create in five seconds with ESP. You can't sustain that for 59 seconds. The nerve just can't do it. It gives up. It accommodates. It's, it's science, y'all. It is unexcitable at the same level of stimulation after just five to eight seconds. It's like putting on a watch or a ring. You feel it initially, the weight of your watch, your ring, but after a few seconds or even minutes go by, you're, you're busy trying to take kids to daycare, trying to drive yourself to work. You can't remember or feel those things. Your body accommodates to it. And nerves follow this all or one principle, okay? The nerve is either on or it's off. Listen to what an all or none principle is. It's when the nerve receives a stimulus sufficient enough of intensity. That nerve and muscle fiber will give a maximum response or there's no response. So what does that mean? The all or none principle. The nerve's either going to fire and move the muscle or it's not. It's either the light switch is on or it's off. 
Because I've heard that, oh, AmpCare does maximal stimulation and we do, Vital Stim does submax. There's no such thing as submax. If you call submax, submax is sensory, max is motor. And if you're doing NMES, you're doing motor. If you're doing sensory stim, you're doing tens. So the duty cycle, that's the only parameter you need to tell you that it's tens. And if you want more information about that, check out the strength duration curve. We follow it. Other companies do not. And unfortunately, your discipline since 2001, company that brought that out hasn't changed it. They've touted it as NMES, and I'm telling you, it's not. So that's it. Sensory stem versus sensory motor. That's the problem. So now let's do the backstory. When you look at the evidence of electrical stem for the treatment of dysphagia, what kind of effect does it have? It's conflicting. It's muddy. It's bad. If you do a PubMed research, just do a PubMed search on electrical stem and swallowing, you'll get over 700 articles. 702 is what I heard last. Over 700 articles, all showing some conflicting data. Okay? Now, that's a problem. And again, I don't blame your field for it. You've been trained in a technology that says they were NMES, and my opinion is it's sensory stem. And you don't have to believe me. Look at the Cochrane report. Uh, Cochrane Database System. This is an international organization that reviews health treatments to decide what is effective and what is not. And the Cochrane report from 2007 to 2012 to 2018, the author's conclusions say that there is moderate to low quality evidence that suggests that swallowing therapy did have a significant effect on the outcomes of death or dependency disability, case fatality at the end of the trial, or did not have a significant effect on penetration aspiration scales. And I'm going to tell you, in 2007, it was all low quality. 2012, it got moderate to low quality. So we're getting a little bit better, but overall, not very good. And the articles in the show notes, look it up, read the author's conclusions, read it all. I'm going to tell you why this is. Because majority of these articles are using sensory stem parameters. They're using primarily sensory stem. I looked at hundreds of these. All I do is go right to the method. What method do they use? When I see a duty cycle of 59 seconds of on time, one second of off time, I know you can't sustain it. And if all you did was crank it up for five seconds, get motor and turn it off, you didn't do what that technology's job was. That technology is to stay on for 59 seconds. So now we've got thought leaders and researchers not even following the rules of these devices. They're making up their own rules, trying to see if immediate effect to electrical stimulation might promote some rehabilitation and not following the rules. So majority of the research is sensory, which is not NMES. Some of it is looking at what is the immediate effect, and it's never been about immediate effect in PT. It's always been about good old-fashioned rehab, NMES with exercise. You do it over time. I don't walk into a gym one day, immediate effect, work out like a madman and walk out like Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's no immediate effect to this. But again, our opinion of it, that it contracts muscles and improves strength has kind of gotten blown out of proportion because we haven't followed the rules. And here's another problem I'm seeing is these electrode placements don't follow the rules. You're stimulating agonist and antagonist simultaneously playing tug of war, which is confusing to muscles. We wouldn't do that. We would do it alternating at least or directly to the muscles we're trying to facilitate. Doing it simultaneously does not follow the rules of NMES. Um, intermittently, back and forth does. Putting it on the posterior neck, putting it internally, not on skeletal muscles, that's not following the rules of NMES. And I've listed 10 articles that are doing this. And I'm not calling them out. I'm not calling out any names. 
But look at the methodology. It's not NMES. And I'm sorry, but we got to change. This is not good. And I'm not saying, I, I fall back on the Cochrane Report. So what are we going to do about it? How are we, AmpCare, changing this? I'm going to tell you, we're going to change it. We're going to make it better. I knew, I've known Teresa for a while. Teresa and I were at a conference together in Boston. And that's all I'm going to say about it. It was a good conference. I was asked to present. I told a group of speech and language pathologists, medical speech and language pathologists, that before I die, God willing, I would try to, not try, I will get you a CPT code for NMES for the treatment of dysphagia. It was a room, a large room, I would say under slightly under 100 people, and there was laughter. And I like to think of myself as a funny guy. I don't sound very funny today, but um, I wasn't meaning to be funny. I was saying truthfully, it, it, it works and it will work for dysphagia. It's not going to work on everybody, y'all. But if you use the right parameters, if you use the right electrode placement, if you use the right size and shape and construction electrode, you can achieve hyolaryngeal excursion and provide the resistance to the laryngeal vestibule. And I've got pictures of it under floral and fees. I've got videos that you can look on on the links on the show notes. And it's been peer reviewed. We've been training this in Japan. We've been training it in UK. And our colleagues in Japan and England have replicated what we have done. And it is beautiful. It follows the rules of also anatomical inference. So hear me out. If I move your hyoid forward and upward, which I can easily do by stimulating your trigeminal nerve with larger pie-shaped electrodes just on your suprahyoid musculature, I'm going to have to still go through the platysma, still go through those sternocleidomastoids to get to the anterior digastric and mylohyoid. But when I do, I can move your hyoid and larynx. But that's where the electrical current stops. It just goes through those suprahyoids. But because the hyoid attaches to your tongue via the hyoglossus, when the hyoid moves forward and upward, the tongue will follow. That's called anatomical inference. Because your hyoid attaches to your epiglottis via a hyoepiglottic ligament and your larynx attaches to your epiglottis via thyroepiglottic ligament, when the hyolaryngeal complex moves forward and upward, the epiglottis won't completely retrovert, but it will start to move and shallow the vollecula. Your hyoid attaches to your larynx via a thyrohyoid ligament and a thyrohyoid membrane. So when you move the hyoid, yes, the thyroid cartilage will go with it. When you do that and you're not swallowing, you actually stretch open the laryngeal vestibule. And this is where it gets a little counterintuitive to the speech and language pathologist because you say, Russ, why am I pulling open the airway when I'm trying to close it? And I say, because when I pull it open, we're going to create a perturbation, which is a disturbance to a movement goal, because when you swallow, it should close. And that disturbance will allow you to swallow faster, harder, because you're going to have to overcome that perturbation. Create a better pharyngeal squeeze, because your middle pharyngeal constrictor comes around the back of your pharynx and attaches to your hyoid. And under fees, I can show you that if you turn it up high enough and get that hyoid and larynx to move far enough, Science supports the relaxation of the PSUES. And that should be exciting to y'all. I'm not talking about this just being sexy. I'm talking about exciting because I don't know what you have in your toolbox that helps PSUES open. I know the Shakir exercise can do it. We're going to do that as well as a electrical stimulation Mendelssohn maneuver combined with an effortful swallow. We're going to create the best effortful swallowing exercise you could ever do for a patient. Because remember, the rules of NMES, it's got to be NMES with a task-specific, repetitive, resistive exercise. And we are using NMES to facilitate hyolaryngeal movement and resistance to the laryngeal vestibule. And we're going to get you to swallow effortly, effortfully 60 to 72, up to 90 times in 30 minutes. So check out the videos. ESP is always paired with a swallow. If they can't swallow, we'll teach you some things at the training to help try to trigger swallows. And if they can't swallow, tongue presses, falsettos, anything that promotes what you're trying to treat, the mechanical cause, getting it down to now, 
What are we treating? What nerves are we stimulating? What is the mechanical cause? This is how we do better research, okay? And we're starting to do it because there's better software out there to test it. Really, you guys have been using x-ray eyes and fiber optics to see what's going on. Sometimes you're just using bedsides to make the, yeah, we'll try a diet upgrade and they get better. And that's what the research says. Ah, they had a better functional oral intake scale, okay? But we want to know objectively, did they have increased range of motion? In PT, it's easy. I can take a goniometer, put it next to your elbow. I can watch you bend. If you only bend 30 degrees and after three treatments, I got you bending to 90 degrees, I know I've done a better job. But you all don't have those range of motions yet. It's getting there. Software is being developed and currently out there like Tim's DICOM review software, TDRS, and we use it in the U.S., our colleagues in Japan are using Dip Motion Pro and Swallowtail. And again, it's software you can overlay on your uh, fluoroscopies and you can start measuring things. Okay. And I'm going to show you on the show notes how we measure hyoid anterior motion, superior motion, and excursion. So now I can say, well, yeah, I got a diet upgrade, but why did they get that diet upgrade? Well, when I first evaluated them on this software, they only had 9.07 millimeters of anterior movement. But after four to six weeks of ESP, three to four times a week, they moved to 11.86 millimeters. So that's better anterior motion. My superior motion, again, what they'll do is they'll draw vertical lines for anterior. Where did my hyoid start? They'll let the film go 30 frames per second so we can watch this hyoid move, 30 frames in a second. And then when the hyoid stops moving anterior, they do another vertical line. And then they just draw a horizontal line to connect them and they measure it. You can calibrate that measurement by using a penny or this, they use this um, uh, scalar method where you take the percentage of C2 to C4. And now you can start getting some objective measurements and post measurements after your therapy to see if you're improving range of motion. And if you want to measure excursion, you can do that with this software, or you can use math and find the hypotenuse of a right triangle. And that's part of that scalar methodology. And I think it's brilliant. And uh, listen, I know it's being done. There's some articles written up in Canada or uh, that were very nice that talk about this scalar method and and it can be used and this software can be used. And now we have objective data, not just that their swallow is improved, but we start to have some objective range of motion. So look, I'm gonna end with two research things that were done, not by us, but using our protocol. They were both presented at the European Society for Swallowing Disorders uh, in October of uh, 2020. Uh, one was, uh, 22 audit tools. We've been training therapists in the UK for about four years. Uh, according to NICE guidelines, NICE is their National Institute of Clinical Excellence. There's not enough research and data out about uh, NMES for the treatment of dysphagia. So they recommend that you do an audit tool if you're using NMES. So in our training in the UK, we train clinicians how to use this audit tool to make sure that they're showing progress and they're not harming anyone. And out of the 22 audit tools, out of five trusts, which are five different hospitals in the UK, 19 of the 22, 86% were able to show safely increased amount of food and liquid in their diet. 10 of 11 showed that they went from MPO at the start of therapy and were able to induce, introduce some oral uh, intake. And nine of 20 who were tube dependent Nine of them weaned off feeding tube. Now, some of the conclusions is that, hey, this is starting to show that same old research. We're basing it on swallowing. Are they swallowing better? Are they safer? But now we're going back and looking at these patients under this software and seeing if we've got better hyolaryngeal excursion, if we got faster laryngeal vestibule closure times. You can measure spatial as well as temporal at 30 frames per second. 
Beginning this COVID year, this time last year in March, a lot of patients were going on these ventilators. And we were concerned because we know when they get extubated, a third of them will have dysphagia signs, right? And we really felt that because we can move the hyoid and larynx and we have this anatomical inference all the way down to the PSUES, we can certainly speed up laryngeal vestibule closures and get stronger pharyngeal squeezes. And we think we're appropriate for those post-extubated dysphagia patients. So we went back to the FDA because not only does the FDA determine if you're safe and effective, but they determine what you're able to market and say about your technology. And because when we applied for our FDA clearance, we didn't have COVID in our lives, we had to go to the FDA and say, hey, we truly believe people that are post-extubated dysphagia due to being on that ventilator because of COVID would be appropriate for AmpCare. And we actually filed an EUA, an emergency use authorization. And you've probably heard of these EUAs with these vaccinations that are coming out for Moderna, Pfizer, J&J. The FDA looked at all of our information, looked at our FDA clearance, looked at our research and said we didn't need an EUA. That our FDA clearance, our indication for use is appropriate for post-extubated dysphagia, whether it was due to COVID or not, based on our science. And meanwhile, once we got that, we got a letter to file from the FDA that's in our quality system. And we are the only FDA cleared system that has this specific indication for use. Now, in the UK, they had four dysphagia patients, post-extubated dysphagia patients that were intubated. And check this out. This is published. This was presented at ESSD in 2020. They were intubated from anywhere from 32 to nine days intubated. Then they were traked anywhere from 25 to 41 days. And then after being extubated, anywhere from 47 to 77 more days of traditional care, still NPO feeding tube. So they felt, well, let's try to do some ESP. ESP's got an indication for use for post-extubated dysphagia patients. Let's try it. They did 20 treatments. They couldn't get them all in five days a week. They were seen anywhere from three to five days a week. And after 20 treatments, guess what? Their PO intake went from nil by mouth, NPO, to diet level trials of five on the ITSI, from mince moist all the way up to six soft bite size. All right. Their liquids didn't come along that quickly. Okay. They started off really high, very thick, right? Fours on that ITSI liquid scales. But they only could do 20 treatments because that's all they had funding for. After they followed them back up six weeks later of them doing their home program, continuing to swallow, continuing to eat their minced and moist, bite sized diets, some of them got to trying thin liquids, weaning off those diet modifications. Check it out, it's there for you. That's research, not done by AmpCare, done by the UK. Our international community has taken to this type of electrical stimulation in the form of neuromuscular electrical stim and understand the differences. And um, they're the ones using it clinically. So okay, you know, me being a CEO of this company, I can, my credibility may be in question. I'm telling you, everything today is based on the science. I gave you seven pages of, of show notes, 22 references. Check it out. Would love to see you at a training. And thank you to Teresa for all you do. I think, uh, again, uh, you've blown my mind. 176, I think, episodes, if I'm counting correctly. That you know of. That I know of. Um, God bless you. Happy Easter. To everyone out there, uh, enjoy some cabbage and noodles if you know people who know how to make it. Again, please, I'm passionate because I believe we can do something. Don't misconstrue my passion as shouting or not being humble. Um, we can all do better. Continuous effort. God bless you. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit SwallowYourPridePodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, 
and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.